three. Okay. All right. So this is episode three of Paper Cut for December 21st, 2020. Welcome to episode three of Paper Cut, the Nyack Library podcast. Our guest this week is Purnell Wilfred. I'm Rosemary Farrell. I'm an adult librarian and I work in the programming and community engagement office. I'm Tracy Dunson and I'm the head of adult services. I'm Georgia Grandstaff. I work in programming with Rosemary and we are going to introduce Purnell. Purnell, why don't you tell us who you are? Hi, I'm Pernell Wolford. I'm the children's librarian here at the Nyack Library. I started um, in February of this year, 2020. Um, it's been fun so far. We do virtual story times and craft programs and other story times. And I have been a librarian since 2013. Thanks for joining us. Seven Pernell. years. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> February 2020 is the Wonderful time to start a new job. <laughs> it was. Made everything even more interesting. So this episode is about books to movies, which is a topic that most people have very strong opinions about, including myself. So I just made lists like best, worst, and then my third little list is afraid to even watch because I love the book so much. The best ones, the best in my opinion, the best adaptations. Number one, well, these aren't in any particular order. This one I just happened to see again last week. I'd completely forgotten about it. So it was good timing. Angel at My Table, which was directed by Jane Campion. And I'm not sure the exact date it came out. It was probably, I'd say, early 90s. Um, Jane Campion's more famous for her film, The Piano, which I think won an Academy Award when it came out. But it's based, this movie, Angel at My Table, is based on um, Janet Frame's memoir of the same name. And Janet Frame is a, new, a writer from New Zealand who, um, she was like living on a, she grew up poor on a farm with lots of siblings, um, but she was always encouraged to read. And even though she didn't do too well in school, she had a, a wonderful imaginative life. And then as she, came into, got into adolescence or grew into adolescence, she started exhibiting symptoms of, of mental health issues. Like, I don't know if it was schizophrenia. I'm not sure. They never really die. Like you don't get a real like firm diagnosis in the film, but anyway, she, she ended up being hospitalized in an institution, a psychiatric hospital, which at that time, because this is, you know, earlier in the 20th century was pretty harrowing. And all this time that she was sick though she was writing and they were almost on the verge of giving performing a lobotomy on her because she had she couldn't function in their in their eyes she couldn't function and right before close to that time she won a major literary award in New Zealand for one of her books so they're like oh okay, this person is not crazy she's just been forced into a situation that made her so unhappy that she, I mean, she, she definitely has issues, but she's not deserving of lobotomy. So she gets out and she goes off to, she visits England and Paris and has all these, you know, travels and continues to write her whole life. But I just love it because I think the, the filmmaker captures not only all the incidents in the book, because it's a long film, it's like two and a half hours, but she really shows you what it's like to be inside of this woman's head and it starts there's three different there's two different actresses no three different actresses that play her over time like a young medium <laughs> young medium <laughs> young teenage and then adult and you really feel like you are inside this person's brain and it's just really beautiful um it's also shot on you know in New Zealand Jane Campion's from New Zealand as well and the scenery is just um is so gorgeous also uh, another I, our film of a book I love is The Age of Innocence, which is by Edith Wharton. It's the Martin Scorsese film. It came, also came out in the mid 90s. And I just thought people were sort of astonished. I remember at the time that someone like Martin Scorsese would try to adapt Edith Wharton because you know, 19th century novel about the upper classes of Manhattan. But he really, I mean, he really put his stamp on it. And he also, 
at the time he talked about people, um, the people in the book being sort of similar to other, you know, the mob and other groups that he's made movies about because they all have their own like code of conduct. And it's sort of impenetrable from outsiders don't quite understand. And it is just another, I thought, extremely well acted, beautiful film. And he, there, he definitely, his visual style is evident in the movie, so it's. I, I just thought he did a wonderful job with that um, that book, Unbearable Lightness of Being, um, which I think came out in the late '80s. I don't even know if it's available on DVD. I had a, I, I found a copy a couple of years ago um, by Milos Forman, who's a Czech director, and based on a novel by Milan Kundera, who's a Czech writer and one of like the most popular or internationally known of, of Czech writers. I thought the, the book itself was, it has a plot, but it also goes off in these philosophical tangents. And somehow Milos Forman managed to create a movie that was you know, beautiful to look at, had a very strong plot line, different plot lines, but also sort of captured some of the, the ephemeral, like philosophical musings in the book figured out a way for the characters to embody them. And also used footage from, because part of the, the film and the book takes place in 1968 in Prague. That was when there was this uh, Prague Spring, when they were sort of throwing off the shackles of the Soviet Union's influence and the Soviet Union came in with tanks and basically crushed it. So he used, he did this great thing where he has his actors in different scenes in, in the streets and he sort of blends them in with this um, footage of the actual time. And it, it could have been really cheesy, but he pulls it off really well. And one last one that I love is Sense and Sensibility, which is a Jane Austen novel that um, the one that Emma Thompson wrote and stars in, I think Ang Lee directed it. It's just totally, to me, it totally captures the feel of the novel, the sense of humor, and it's just, it's so beautifully acted and I could, I, it's one of those movies if I catch it, no matter what part of the movie, I actually turn it on and I always end up watching the end. I just love it so much. Worst, which is almost more fun than talking about best. <laughs> Demi Moore directed The Scarlet Letter and turned it into a bodice ripping romantic action movie. Wait, Demi <laughs> Moore? Demi Moore, I think yeah. I forget. It was like universally panned. I remember when it came out and I think she even changed the ending of the book, which is, please. But yeah, she turned into this romance that was just, oh my God, it was horrifying. <laughs> um, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, the Tim Burton version of it. There's the wonderful, like Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, which I grew up with and loved, even though I know Roald Dahl did not like it. He actually preferred the Tim Burton version because he thought that um, in the original version with Gene Wilder, who I think is brilliant, is Willy Wonka, he thought he was, Roald Dahl thought Gene Wilder's portrayal was he made him too friendly, he made him too, not creepy enough. And Johnny Depp is certainly creepy in this movie, but it's just like so stuffed full of things. And you would think on paper, it sounds like a perfect person, Tim Burton to direct this. It just, it's like dead on arrival. There's like it's so dull, even though there's all this colors and all this action and all this, you know, CGI and all sorts of stuff. It just has no charm to it at all. And no heart. No heart, exactly. No heart. No heart. And I thought Johnny Depp was not good. <laughs> I just didn't, I didn't, I didn't dig what he did with that character at all. And then also The Hobbit, Peter Jackson, as a, you know, teenage fantasy geek, Geeket, whatever you call it. Um, I, that was one of the first fantasy books I remember reading when I was 12, 13 years old, and I always loved it. And I, lo I did love what he did with Lord of the Rings, the three films. Um, so I was excited when he was going to take on The Hobbit. And he turned it into three separate films, and it was just so, it was like a bloated mess. It was just, just so boring. It was similar to the Charlie and Chocolate Factory. It was like there's, he sucked all the fun out of it and all the drama and all the tension and added characters and like people were, uh, I'm not like a, one of the people who, who's wedded to, you know, adapt, uh, adaptation has to stay strictly to the book, but he, he caused a lot of 
people some grief by <laughs> messing with their sacred text. Um, and Afraid to Even Watch, these are three books that I read as a child that I adore and still do. Um, the three that I'm afraid to watch, uh, Wrinkle in Time, that, came, that Tracy actually commented on when I put it down. And I was so excited when I saw Ava DuVernay was going to direct this because I, you know, I love what she's done in uh, in other realms. But it just when I saw the preview and so even saw the you know the poster, I was like, no, <laughs> this is like too. <laughs> it's just so much, so much CGI and so much. Uh, I just couldn't, I couldn't bring myself to watch it. Yeah, um, I'm not much of a sci-fi fan, but that was one of the few books when I was a kid I loved. Oh. And I saw that movie and it was terrible. The so book is bad. just genius. It's so good. Uh, Harriet the Spy, which is one of my most beloved, like one of my favorite books of all time. And I I know that Rosie O'Donnell, I think Rosie O'Donnell, I don't know if she directed it, but she sort of put it together and like got it made. And I remember seeing the commercial and I'm like, oh my God, no. <laughs> I made it like, it was all about her, first of all, her old golly, the, um, her, her, I guess, nanny or babysitter or whatever in the book. And I just thought, no way, that's just gonna make me so angry if I watch it. And The Giver, which came out a couple of years ago. And it came out, um, both my kids, or at least one of my kids was reading it for school at the time, because everybody reads that book. And it's a great book, and I read it with them. And that, like right when they were reading, it was like, oh my goodness, there's a movie coming out of this with Jeff Bridges, who I love and all these great actors. And then it was just so universally, <laughs> did you watch that too, Tracy? You're like, yeah, it, was, <laughs> it was bad. <laughs> oh, it was, just... it was so bad. <laughs> so yeah, I think I started watching and I said, no, I can't do this. I love the, the book is too good. We'll just, we'll just stay with it. But that's my, my contribution. There's many others I could have talked about, but. For now, do you have any? I do. So, I actually came up with a list as well. First, I, I just started off with um, a list of books and then I went into picture books, series, and adult books. So I wanna start with picture books. There are so many picture books right now in the children's room that was turned into movies that I think are pretty fascinating because you take just some illustrations and you bring them to life. For me, it's just pretty amazing. The first one that I wanted to talk about was Jumanji by Chris Van Allen Allsburg. <laughs> yes! <laughs> and it was written in 1981. And I've read through it. It's kind of on the longer side for a picture book. And the first movie came out in 1995 with um, Robin Williams playing the main character, Alan Parrish. And it's pretty much a book about a board game, which you wouldn't think would be that interesting, but when you see the adventure unfold on screen, it completely draws you in. And then there's the remake that came out in 2017, and then there's another one that came out two years later, and they turned it from a board game into a video game to make it more marketable to today's youth. And even though it's done, it's pretty funny. It's not exactly like the picture book or, or the very first movie that came out. I, I prefer the 1995 movie because it's much closer to the picture book than the 2007 version with The Rock. And <laughs> I was surprised how much I liked the, the, the new one. I was going went into thinking it was going to be terrible. It was really fun. But yeah, I think it the 95 version is better too. <laughs> You're absolutely right, Tracy. It is fun. And that's, I think that's what they were trying to go for. Just a Funny, everybody remembers this, but let's put a spin on it. The next one that I wanted to talk about was Where the Wild Things Are by Maurice Sendak. And I love this picture book. I introduce it to almost all the kids in the family. And it's one of the reasons why I'm a children's librarian, because it's this young boy who's throwing a tantrum all day and his mom is just a little fed up of him. And she puts him on a timeout and tells him he's not gonna have dinner. And his imagination takes over. <laughs> and, it's the story of where the wild things are. He goes off to be a wild thing. And what kid has not acted out before being a wild thing all day and gotten into trouble? Like it's a classic story. It was written in 1963 
And the adaptation that I really like was the movie for 2009. There's a lot of CGI, a lot of animatronics. It doesn't lose the heartfelt moments between the wild things and this little guy, Max. You still feel the emotions that he feels, the sadness he feels for leaving them when he has to go back home to behave himself. I was a wild thing. <laughs> and I always got in trouble for it because I, I would be rambunctious, jumping off couches. And I feel like <laughs> the movie and the book, they're not quite one, but you can easily follow from the picture book to the movie on screen, to the film. Now, the next one that I wanted to talk about is a little bit darker. It's not a series. It's called The Book Thief, and it was published in 2007 by Marcus Zusak. The film came out in 2013, and it's about a girl named Liesel during the Nazi-era Germany, and she's a Jewish girl. It starts off being narrated by death, and her brother passes away on a train and is buried, and then she's given to a foster family that the husband teaches her how to read. And the book is just about the power of the written word and sharing it, not only to capture stories, but to make connections between neighbors in such a distraught time. And by the end of it, I was a ball of emotions, <laughs> both the movie and the book. I loved the book. But that's one of those movies that stays true to the book. And I cannot, cannot do this without naming the Potters. When my mom handed me Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone in 1997, when it first came out, I fell in love. <laughs> and I stuck with the series until the end and I reread it and I've done book clubs with it. I'm not like one of those uber fans that will argue like the specifics of characters. I don't do that with anything that I love. But I do love this series and how she created it. Um, J.K. Rowland did. Um, part of why I like it is because it follows Harry through his adolescence, which not that many children's books do into adulthood. Um, and it doesn't take away from the innocence. It doesn't have any of, well, it does have death and it has suffering, but it doesn't make it seem like when you're an adult, everything's going to make you despair kind of feeling. And the movies were so well done, I think, because they had so many big names behind them. So many people's reputations were staked on them. I thought that that was a great series of books. And it started in 2001, the movies did. Another one that I wanted to mention, which I really loved, that's a series, was The Golden Compass, his Dark Material series by Pullman. He started writing in 1995. Well, it was published in 1995. And the movie that I wanted to talk about was the one that came out in 2007. The story is these interdimensional worlds that have doorways between them. And this little girl is given this golden compass that she can read. And she finds out about her, her, her lineage, lineage, essentially, who her father and her mother is, that's been kept a secret from her. And she finds out that she can read this golden compass that can let her go essentially let her figure out the truth. And her father and her mother are trying to find ways of, well, her father is trying to find a way to get into another world. And her mother is trying to find a way to destroy what they call dust, which is keeping human souls in her world, which are physical animals together. And in our world, which shows up in the book, the human soul is actually within the body. So it's, it's a little religious, and it can get really dark by book two and book three. So I could see why they only made one movie where they can keep her a child, which is a little disappointing. That's one of those that I kind of regretted watching because I thought it would keep going, but they wanted to keep her a child in the movie and keep it fluffy. But if you read on in the stories, you realize that it follows her through her adolescence and going through trauma, and it's not all fluffy. <laughs> And there is an HBO series that was released in 2000 that actually shows you that she goes through those traumas, which is very unlike the movie from 2007 of the same name. Um, an adult book that I wanted to mention was The Price of Salt, published in 1952 by Patricia Highsmith. It was turned into the movie Carol. 
and it's it was released in 2016. So that story, I felt, well, I should give a little background. It's about these two women in the 50s who fall in love and they're, one is going through a divorce and the other one is just trying to find herself. She's a little younger and they end up being quite a pair. They take a road trip together and it shows you, it kind of captures the time. It shows you what's going on in the 50s with LGBTQ activity, how it's being seen in the courts. The way the movie is done, you can feel the emotions that the, the, the author wants you to feel through the characters. You can feel the time. And even though it's not an exact adaptation, like they changed some of the details, it's one of those stories that I love because it captures the time, but it does not diminish the love story. And those are the ones that I wanted to share. I don't have any that I absolutely hate. <laughs> like I think are like the worst. If I think that it might not be good, like I, I don't really like the Lord of the Rings. I tried reading them and I couldn't get through them. I tried watching them and I kept falling asleep. I just, I give up on it, but I, I don't know enough about it to be like, I hate it. <laughs> gotcha. Georgia, I know last episode you had a lot to say about this topic. I always have a lot to say about everything. Um, okay, so I want to talk about things a bit differently. So basically, first of all, I have a rule, and my rule is that I will not watch a movie that's based on a book if I have not read the book. So I haven't seen most book to movie adaptations. Also, I just, as you guys know, if you listened to the last episode, I, I never think that they're good, almost never. But this week, I really forced myself to think about it. And actually, I read an article in this literary magazine called, I think it's called Reader or O Reader magazine. And this girl basically talked about how book to movie adaptations we need to stop pitting movie people and book people need to stop pitting ourselves against each other and we should just accept a story for what it is um so i i tried to do that so i want to talk about like first of all i didn't even realize that some of some movies that are really popular are actually based on books so i'm gonna just list a few that i had no idea were based on books um I didn't know that Die Hard was based on a book. It's based on a book called Nothing Lasts Forever by Roderick Thorpe, I think. Um, Forrest Gump is based on a book. Shrek is based on a book. Legally Blonde um, is based on a, a book, a nonfiction book. Mrs. Doubtfire is based on a book called Madam Doubtfire by Anne Fine. So I guess in those cases, I love those movies. Those are some of my favorite movies of all time. So fine. I like book to movie adaptations. Um, but I haven't read those books. So also I broke my own rule there unknowingly. And I guess I've actually broke my own rule many times because there are some movie adaptations that are really, really good that I have seen and didn't realize they were based on books or was forced to watch them and didn't read the book first. I mean, like Jurassic Park is based on a book and that is a, a great movie. The Godfather is based on a book and that's considered like one of the best movies of all time. So I don't know if that's due to Francis Ford Coppola or whoever wrote the screenplay, um, but I haven't read that book. So if any, if any of you have, tell me if it's really good. I don't know, but that movie is very good. Um, it's really good. I really loved the movie Stardust, which is based on a book by the same name by Neil Gaiman. So I haven't read that, but the movie is great. It's magical. I think that Movies that are based on books that are kind of like fantastical are more are more prone to be better because there's just more elements that kind of get you excited that um, make up for the fact that a lot of the story and the internal monologue of the characters is lost. Um, I also didn't know that In Her Shoes was based on a book. It's a book by Jennifer Weiner. Um, and that's another one of my favorite movies with uh, uh, Tony Collette is in it and she's, she's amazing and Cameron Diaz and that's a great story. One that I, so basically my overall thing is I do not like book to movie adaptations. So I'm not going to go on and on about all the ones that I hate because that's basically all of them, especially since, um, as I talked about last week, I read a lot of young adult books and they've turned a lot of young adult books into movies and they're not good. So I'm not going to go on and on about it. 
I, there are a few I really liked and I would recommend. So uh, if anybody ever read the book You by Carolyn Kepnes, I think I'm saying this right, um, they turned that into a series. So the book is about this guy, I think his name is Dan, I actually don't know, but um, he is, he's definitely mentally ill and a murderer and he kind of like goes on this weird like stalker murder spree um joe thank you his name is joe um and they turn that into a series on netflix it's really good it doesn't follow the book exactly which i think is a big issue of mine with a lot of adaptations but um it's done so well that it doesn't matter it's still a really fun uh story and there's a there's a second book called hidden bodies which they turned into season two of the show so that's on netflix i would definitely recommend that the book A Little Princess by uh, Frances Hodges Burnett, Hodgins Burnett. Um, I read that book when I was younger. I really liked it. I reread it recently, didn't like it as much, um, but I realized that there are two movie adaptations of it. One of them is kind of old. It's a Shirley Temple film, and that's one of my favorite movies. Um, and then there's also one from, I think, the 90s, also called A Little Princess, that was really good. And I think that that was a good adaptation. It's about a girl who goes to live at a, like, a home for girls while her father is away at war. Um, and her father winds up dying, or you think that he died. Uh, so she turns into sort of like the um, the housekeeping girl of the house, and her whole life changes. And she she copes with that by sort of um, by trying to make friends and having her own little, you know, pretending. She likes to play pretend. So the, the movie is great because you have a lot of like these sort of like fantastical scenes of her imagination. And um, that was really good. Georgia, which 90s one? Are you talking about the one that's um, by Alfonso Cuaron or the other one? Oh, there's more than one. There's a BBC one that's so good. They're both very different. Like the, because um, I actually wrote my, uh, one of my papers in college about the two comparing the two because one's very British and one's very American and kind of oh. showing the difference. I recommend that one too. I think the the one oh okay I don't know I can't I can't speak to that and answer that so I don't know which one I mean I I probably mean the American one embarrassingly enough. No, that, but, was good. that one's really good. Okay yeah. the one with like the girl with the blonde hair. Yeah that's the American. Do they all have blonde hair? I don't know. She's, okay. Uh, dark hair in, in the British one. Okay, so maybe I'm talking about the American one. Um, I really like that. I, uh, it's really funny, Rosemary, that you you didn't want to watch Harriet the Spy. I love all Roald Dahl books, and I loved Harriet the Spy when I was a kid, but I also did like the movie adaptation. I thought it was good for what it was. Um, I think that if you, if you go into watching a movie that's based on a book that you love, if you just don't have any expectations, <laughs> then you'll like it. Or if you kind of like pretend that you didn't read the book. I don't know. So um, what are some other ones I really liked? Uh, I thought that they also did a, a great job, speaking of um, Roald Dahl books, of adapting Matilda and James and the Giant Peach. But those are also, like I said, movies that are kind of magical. So I think that maybe that's why I liked them anyway. And the last one I want to talk about, oh no, two more I want to talk about, sorry. Um, there is a graphic novel series called Hilda, there's like four or five of them and I, you know what, I don't have the author written down, but I'll get it for you. And they turned it into a Netflix series. It's about this little, I want to say Dutch girl named Hilda. She lives like in the middle of the woods with her mom and she also has a crazy imagination and she always encounters these weird little creatures like um, giants that are like made from boulders in the mountain and just all these little fun stories and adventures that she goes on. Um, I would really recommend watching that. That's um, on Netflix, like I said. Oh, and Hell's Moving Castle. I really like that book. The book is by Diana Wynne-Jones. They turned it into a, a Studio Ghibli movie, which if you enjoy Studio Ghibli stuff, then you definitely like Hell's Moving Castle. Um, it is a very magical adventure about this girl who gets turned into an old woman. So she goes to try to find this magical wizard named Howell um, to reverse the spell. Um, and she winds up living with him in his weird, huge, moving castle. So yeah, uh, that's a really good adventure film that actually I think was pretty good compared with the books. And I think that that's 
all I have on my list. Oh, I want to talk about one that I hated, and it's actually an adult book. And a lot of adults have probably read this book, and that's why I wanted to mention it. Um, if anybody has read My Sister's Keeper by Jodi Picoult, um, the book, you know, it's a typical Jodi Picoult book, if any of you have read them. They're a little formulaic, like they're all kind of have some kind of twist ending and blah, blah, blah. The book was really good, and it's a great book if you need a, a good book to cry along with, because that book really made me cry. But the movie... It wasn't that good. Um, and honestly, the, the biggest reason why it's not that good is because it didn't make me cry that much. I feel like I went into it like, oh, yeah, I'm going to get a really good cry from this movie. And they just didn't do a good job of making you love the characters enough for anyone who has not read the book. Um, it's inherently sad. It's about a young girl who has uh, cancer and it's just about her whole entire family and how they're coping with her cancer journey. So, yeah. That, that movie was bad. Skip it. Don't watch it. The book, good book, I would recommend. Before you start, Tracy, I just wanted to say that um, Harriet the Spy was written by Louise Fitzhugh. I should have said her name. Wrinkle in Time by Madeline Lengel and The Giver Lewis, Lois Lowry, I believe. But Roald Dahl wrote Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. So yes. Thank you. You're welcome. Um, Rosemary mentioned this in the last episode, Perks of Being a Wildflower, and I had forgotten about this movie, but it is really, I think it's like one of the best book to movie adaptations. It, the book was one of my favorites, and I think the fact that the author, Stephen Chaboshki, I think I'm saying it right, he wrote the book and also directed the movie, and I think that really helped because the characters seem exactly like how you picture it, at least how I pictured it when I was reading it. Basically, the story is that it's a teenager named Charlie who, he's writing to an unnamed person and he's telling that person everything that happens in his first year of high school and I love both the book and the movie equally and I like the actors that are in it I think it's Logan Learman well I don't really like Emma Swatson but she's okay in this also To Kill a Mockingbird from 1961 the book was made by Harper Lee in 1960 and um, the novel won the Pulitzer Prize and it's about a child's view of race and justice in the depression era south and the film stars Gregory Peck and it's by Robert Mulligan it won a bunch of Academy Awards and I can definitely see why. I think it's also very close to the, I think it does a nice job of capturing the essence of the book. It's, I think the source material though helps because it's just a really good story. I'm not sure about the sequel. I'm curious if any of you have read the, um, the one that she did afterwards because I heard that I, was really bad. I didn't. I just, I felt it, it didn't get good reviews, but that wouldn't have kept me from reading it. It's more like it was a book that she didn't want published herself. So it had a money grab kind of feel to it. Um, I'm glad you mentioned that movie because um, it, it's definitely one of, I think, one of the best adaptations of, a, of and to pull it off with a book that so many people love. But one thing I noticed, like, I read the book, you know, as probably freshman in high school and then saw the movie a number of times over the years and hadn't reread the book until like five or six years ago I reread it. And I realized that the movie, you know, the movie obviously focuses more on the trial and the culmination of that and the Boo Radley and the scene at the end. But I'd forgotten huge chunks of the book, you know, describing all the neighbors and all the women in the neighborhood, yeah. which it completely, you know, I totally left my mind because the movie sort of supplanted the book in my head. Um, and I I think that both the, the book and the movie are just extraordinary. Like, it didn't take away from the movie to be that they had to, you know, trim out a lot of the fat, but um, it was great rereading that book. And I recommend it to anyone who hasn't read it since they were in middle school or high school, because it's, it's pretty extraordinary. Great. And um, it was apparently, but we, uh, we had a poll, I think last year for Band Books Week and Nyack patrons voted it their favorite band book, which makes sense. Little Women, uh, it's my favorite, I think the 94 version is probably my favorite movie ever, and I really like the book. It, the, before, those of you who don't know, it's by um, Louisa May Alcott. It was written in two volumes in 1868 and 1869, and it follows the lives of the four March sisters, Meg, Joe, Beth, and Amy. And it just kind of goes through from childhood to womanhood. The film, there's so many the adaptations of the, of the book. There's, apparently it's been made into a film seven times. Like I said, my favorite is the 94 version with Leanna Ryder. Uh, that received five, three Academy Awards and she got a Best Actress nomination. And then there's a 2019 version with, um, by Greta Gerwing that stars um, Saoirse Rowan. And they're 
both really good. I, I think I still prefer the 94 version because that one I think is a little bit more of the heart of the book. But the new version, I like how she did a whole new spin on everything. And, but I will say that there's a 2018 contemporary version where they put the March sisters in the present and it's utterly awful. It just makes it, yeah, it's so, it just makes it weird and it just doesn't work at all. And I didn't really like the YA graphic novel version of it either that came out also. It also said it in the present and I think just putting it in the, in this time, in like the 2000s doesn't, it just makes it kind of weird. And the musical's really good. And now my, the, the ones I like the least, I think- Wait, the, the musical? Yeah, there's a musical too. <laughs> oh, okay. I didn't know that. All right. <laughs> I do love that story too. Hey, I think the ones that, these are the movies that I, I think don't really work. The Great Gatsby from 2013. I just in general, I think that book is kind of unadded, ad, adaptable, but the film was made uh, by Buzz Lemon and it starred Leonardo DiCaprio and Tobey Maguire. And it was kind of the same, the reason why you, I think you said you didn't like, it was just a lot of very flashy, a lot of like colors and lights, but I felt like it was kind of masking the fact that they didn't really do the story very well. Mm -hmm. And yeah, then it was, it was empty in the middle. Yeah. And I think I've seen the other one. I think Robert Redford maybe did one. And I don't think that, I didn't really like that one either. We talked about this a little bit last episode, The Hunger Games. I love the book. I love the book series. And I actually really like the movies that sort of a love to hate sort of way. Cause I'll, I'll watch them whenever they're on. They cheekily had it on during the election last couple, last month. And it's about a, a bunch of children who fight to the death in a battle called the hunger games and i think the first movie though is probably the worst just because it takes away a lot of the nuances of the book a lot of the characters backstories a lot of the because the whole book takes place in the um, main character katniss's point of view and i think the movie it doesn't really get that quite right like the romance is kind of weird everyone's very like hollywood eyes where it's kind of like they're, they want it to be gritty but it's not really gritty it's just like I think I mentioned it before in the last episode, it's like scenes are just like slight scratch instead of actually, you know, the, the um, what's the word? The stakes don't seem as real, I guess, as it does in the book. Yeah, but I do think it gets better. I like Catching Fire. I like the other, The Mockingjay is not too bad, but I won't say that they're a good adaptation. They're just kind of fun movies. I think, yeah, I think that's all I had. Yeah, I agree with that actually. Okay, so that makes me think of something. So the thing is, is that, like, The Hunger Games is a young adult book, and yeah, there's some, like, adventure to it, right? But at its core, it's a very dark story. And the movie doesn't really, like you said, doesn't really reflect that. It kind of took a lot of that out. And I feel like that is a huge, it's a reason why that, that book is so popular, is that it's so, it really makes you think, I know that's such a cliche thing to say, but it's, it's just a really, um, intense high like you said high stakes story and that's not reflected really in the movie and it's a shame I think it's a shame because I think there's a lot to be learned about that movie I think it kind of you know it's just it's a dystopian book so um and so is the movie and I think that uh it has the opportunity to really point out um similarities between that world and our world and the movie just completely misses that so it's a shame I also agree because um, if you, like I do, I, I look into what the author was thinking sometimes when they started writing the book. She does say that um, Suzanne Collins, she says that she was watching this political segment and then she fell asleep and woke up to this gladiator show. And that's where the inspiration for the book came from. So the movie does, um, like a lot of movies, it dumbs down the darkness, essentially so that it's more palatable to a wider audience. Which I thought, she actually wrote the screenplay for the first movie, which I thought was weird that she, but she also, I think her main job is writing for TV. So maybe that's why, but yeah, I agree. I think it's weird that she, even though she was part of this, like the whole process, she, she dumbed it down a little bit. I think overall that movie adaptations are not great, but um, series adaptations usually are a little bit better because they're able to include more. Um, and you can kind of get more into the things that people really love about it in the first place. I, th I think I would, I would say that there's a lot, anytime they want to take a, a book and turn it into a series, I'm for it. I feel the same way. I was yeah. starting to write, think of series that I love. And I was like, no, 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 we're talking about films. We're talking about films. We can talk about them another time. But with, <laughs> with the explosion of, you know, streaming services and right. is really made it, a, you know, a profitable thing. And I'm just very thankful that, that, you know, the, these companies are 
bankrolling these wonderful series that they, they are right now because I've been watching a lot of TV. <laughs> Not so many movies. But. Well, it's like the work is done for them. Like the this amazing epic saga is created and all you have mm -hmm. to, not all you have to do, but you know, you put a lot of money into it and if you really try to make something just like the book, I mean, you'll probably make a great series, a great product. Mm -hmm. So can we, should we move on, Trace? Yeah. Okay. So um, we are going to be asking Pernell a couple of questions. So you already told us that you have been a librarian since 2013. Is there anything else you want to say? tell us about yourself? I mean, you're new to the NIAC world and NIAC patrons don't even really have a sense of you yet because they haven't been in the building. But, you know, NIAC is such a community and I think it would be cool just to hear like a little bit about you. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> Definitely. Um, well, I was born in St. Lucia, which is a Caribbean island, and mostly raised between Brooklyn and Queens. And then I went to school um, at SUNY Albany, where I got both my degrees in English and journalism, and then to be a librarian. And then I moved out west. I first moved to Utah, then I moved to Wyoming, <laughs> and somehow I moved back to Utah and then back to Queens. <laughs> so it, it, my life has been I guess cyclical is the, I'm not even sure that's the right word to use. I did not know about the community of Nyack until I first saw the job pop up and I was just like, this might be the perfect job for me <laughs> and it worked out. And so far I've had a lot of fun with the staff in the community. The community has been very welcoming. I worked for um, maybe a month or so before the pandemic really hit and I met a few people when I was supposed to do my first story time, no one showed up because everything kind of shut down. So then we went to virtual story time when we came back into the library and that has been so much fun. It, it's been eye-opening. I knew I wanted to be a children's librarian, but doing story time has solidified it for me because watching the kids interact with me and their parents in the background jumping and dancing with them, it is so much fun. <laughs> and they, they're so engaged when I'm reading a story. I try not to pick too tough of a book. I, it, it can't be too long because they're preschoolers. I do the preschool story time. Morgan um, Strand does the toddler story time where they handle like littler books. So my books can be a little meatier, but not too long. And I love seeing them lean into the cameras. <laughs> and we've had some parents comment on story time. One of, this parent, one of the parents posted a video of her son doing um, head, shoulders, knees, and toes with us. That was fun. <laughs> So far, I've felt pretty welcome in the NIAC community. I'm really looking forward to the pandemic going away so that I can actually get back to learning our patrons, knowing a lot more of what they like. Because right now, what I've, I've learned from our patrons is what I collect from the holds list in the morning and what they tell me over the phone, which is like not all, as many people as I would like are calling in to request books. Some of them are just bypassing the interaction and I miss that, the interaction with another human being. I do miss that. That's one of the reasons why I became a librarian is because I do love to help people. Yeah, I think we all do because we're pretty long suffering, so. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so what are, and I'm really curious because we're not in the building, so I don't know, but um, what are the kids in the children's room requesting lately? Like what's, what are the big books of the year, would you say? Of the year? Um, I know they're requesting a lot of series and a lot of holiday books since we've been back. So as early as um, September, you start getting requests for your Halloween, your Thanksgiving, your Christmas, your Hanukkah, your Kwanzaa books. Um, but with the kids that pick their own books, they are getting a lot of the Potters. Um, they're getting a lot of I love how you Percy call it Jacksons. the Potters. <laughs> I love that. I really do. Sorry to interrupt you. I just, I love it. The I, I have no idea that. why I do it. Because <laughs> well, everyone's like, oh, the Harry Potter series, the Harry, you know, the Potters. That's such a cool way to say it. Well, thank you. <laughs> Um, they, the series go out a lot. If they come in to browse and borrow, they'll take a whole stack of them and just walk out with them. What am I missing? Graphic novels are very popular. And um, with parents, the parents love getting the picture books and the easy readers so they can read to the children because that's what you do. You, you read, you watch TV, you can go out for a walk, but that's our world right now. 
as yeah. far as books for the year, I'm not sure. <laughs> well, that's okay. I, I might I be just, a little you know. biased because I tend to stick to what I like. Mm -hmm. If somebody requests something, I'll look at it. But if it doesn't like interest me, then I'll just let it pass. But if it's like, I love picture books because I'm doing story time. I read a lot of picture books. I can read at least 10 a day while I'm here. And I, I take them home. I read them to the kids at home. I don't have children, but I have little cousins that are part of our group that I help with their homework and I do read to them. So I love doing that. Okay. And is there anything you'd like us to know about the children's room, upcoming programs, anything to know, anything you want to talk about with the children's room? Go ahead. We do have some winter theme programs that are coming up and we're still doing folk tales on Fridays. Um, so if you check on the children's page for the Nyack Library website, you'll see our schedule. We have a holiday craft coming up, a let it snow program where you make a snow globe and get um, snow globe and winter wonderland stories read to the children. And then there's this diversity book club that's starting up in January and February. And one of the writers actually lives in Nyack. I'm not sure which one on the list. And we're doing a winter wonderland in watercolors. That's gonna be coming up as well. So we just have a lot of winter themed programs that we have coming up. I'm sure Tracy would love that because she loves winter. <laughs> so you guys have been doing a lot of, all of these programs that you guys are doing, you, people can pick up craft kits, right? Like the parents come and pick up the supplies for all of these things. Most of them. So most of the programs that we do, we, we, if they're a craft program, we create the craft kit and the parents pick them up or the kid picks them up if they're old enough. And we break it down by two different age groups, kindergarten to third grade and third grade to fifth grade. So that the difficult, more difficult crafts are for the older kids and they come pick their own crafts up sometimes with their parents like in the background. But we've done programs where they don't need to pick up a, a craft kit. Our Folk Tales on Fridays is just another story time. And a lot of the younger crafts, we do read stories while they're working. Okay, I think that that's all we had for Purnell. So. I'm just looking, Tracy. So I don't have anything really for local history, but what I was going to mention is just some of the stuff that's been filmed in Nyack. Should I, should I do the promo first? The promo section? Oh, I didn't even see that. Okay, yeah, no, you go. Just have a couple of programs that are going to be happening in late December, early January. We're doing the adult department. We're doing our first two grab and go craft programs. We haven't done this before since the pandemic started. Uh, on January 9th at 11 a.m., which is a Saturday, there's a grab and go vision board program. And when you register for it, we'll contact you to arrange a pickup time for your kit, what you'll need. And I think that we're hoping to have the kits ready. We definitely have the kits ready before Christmas. And then there's also a family fun grab and go, which is a 2020 time capsule. And you call the, it's sort of like first come first serve. We have what, 25 kits, Tracy? As of now, 19. We have 19 kits left. Okay, so they might be gone by the time, <laughs> by the time you hear this, but um, you call the library at extension 214 to reserve a kit and pick up between now and New Year's Eve, December 31st. And also on New Year's Eve, um, Georgia, I believe, is hosting New Year's Eve trivia. Oh, you're not hosting. We're having a New Year's Eve trivia, right? Yeah, we're having yes. it. Yes, okay. So you, um, the information for how to, the exact logon is on our website and in our newsletter. It's New Year's Eve trivia, logon anytime after 1 p.m. on December 31st, and the winner receives a gift card to Moore's Kitchen in Nyack, which is a wonderful Peruvian restaurant. And that's what I have. And I also want to mention, I mean, when this comes out, we'll be almost done, because I think I'm gonna let it go until the, just the end of December. But um, we are doing a uh, favorite books of Nyack poll. So basically we compiled a list of all the uh, most checked out books of the year for different categories. So if you, okay, so you're gonna want to go to crowd.live slash NXDLH. And um, that is, 
the uh, where you can go and vote in the poll. I think it's really fun to see what other people are checking out from the library. You can get a sense of what what our readership is like, and it's fun. I think everybody loves voting and things. And then um, probably early January, we will announce uh, what the winners were. So that's a little fun thing to do. Um, and I wanted to mention, you know, NIAC, a lot of things have been filmed in NIAC, and this is by no means any kind of comprehensive list, but um, there were some movies that um, it I was interested to learn. So apparently they filmed some scenes of John Wick in NIAC, which I really, I love, I love John Wick. Labyrinth, which I did not know, the 1986 movie um, with David Bowie. Stepmom, which I kind of remember like seeing some scenes that look like they could be Nyack. That's um, the movie with Julia Roberts, Susan Sarandon, a bunch of other people. Um, the movie Eighth Grade, which you can see like a huge shot of the Palisades Mall in it. If anyone's ever seen that movie, that's a really good one. And I also didn't know that they filmed, this is one of my favorite movies, but they filmed a lot of the movie um, Riding in Cars with Boys in Nyack with, uh, with Drew Barrymore. That's a really good movie that I think is also based on a book. Although... Yeah, it is. Okay. I'm not sure of the author, but yeah, it is based on, I think it's based on a memoir. It might be based on the author, the writers. And it's life. probably called Writing in Cars with Boys. Yeah. I mean, I don't know why I should know this. I should have looked this up beforehand, but I didn't. But um, yeah, so those were all things that were filmed in and around Nyack, which I think is fun. They film a lot of things here, or it always seems like pre-pandemic, there was like streets, you know, shut down all the time for them to film stuff. So it's cool, kind of cool that this is like a destination. And our next episode is going to be about lawyers and courtrooms. Our guest is going to be Kim Garrison, a lawyer from Grant and Lyons in Dutchess County. And please follow us on Twitter, Instagram, which, uh, and the address is at Nyack Library, facebook.com slash Library, nyacklibrary.org for our website, and YouTube channel is called Nyack Library from Home. And if you have any questions, comments, our email is info at nyaclibrary.org. Thanks for listening. I'm Rosemary. I'm Tracy. I'm Purnell. And I'm Georgia. <laughs> um, thank you for listening to episode three of Paper Cut. And if you go to our website, nyaclibrary.org, under adult services, you will see curated book lists. And we will have a list of all the books and movies that we mentioned here today. So you can go and check them out for yourself. Tracy, sorry, my dog, like, I wasn't muted and my dog sneezed and, like, he sneezed and all my remotes fell off the couch. Like, it was so dramatic. <laughs> I'm so sorry if it was really loud. Thanks, everybody. And cut. <laughs>